Hello, everyone, and welcome to Investing with IBD podcast, sponsored by North Coast Asset Management. It's Justin Nielsen, your host, and it is November 16th, 2022. And joining me, as always, is Arusha Pires. He is an O'Neill Global Advisors Portfolio Manager and, uh, well, kind of kind of a fan of USC, as you can see in the background. But, I mean, if he's going to be a fan of USC and the Raiders, I mean, he's got kind of double trouble there. But uh, welcome back to the show, as always, Arusha. Thanks, Justin. It, it's it's going to be a, a an interesting weekend. This uh, both teams are, are pretty solid. I, I think it's going to be a competitive game between USC and UCLA. Yes, I will be at the game. I invited Arusha to come along with me, and he said, "Oh, I've got I've got to see my doctor, or I've got to wash my hair, or something like that." <laughs> but uh, uh, he was invited, um, but he he declined. So there there's that. Um, and also joining us on the show today, we have Jordan Kahn coming back on, which is a uh, really really great to talk to him. Um, Jordan, uh, he is a CIO at ACM Funds. Uh, you can reach them at www.acm hyphen or dash take your choice funds.com uh, uh welcome back to the show jordan yeah thanks for having me it's good to see you guys yeah good to see you too uh, last time you were on it was actually i i was looking back and it was back in april of 2021 um at the time we had just booted arusha from yeah. the show uh <laughs> he's that kind of thing that you, you you try and get rid of him and he just came back um but uh yeah it was ali and i and yeah. it, it was interesting i was kind of looking at um kind of our initial comments about the market and we were talking about how gosh, you know, in February of 21, uh, we were getting this sector rotation and what to make of it. Uh, so that was the discussion at the time. And here we are uh, almost almost a year and a half, uh, two years later, and uh, quite, quite the rotation that was as we saw tech get into trouble. That was one of the things you were mentioning at the time. Um, we were seeing yeah, I mean, some of the commodities coming on. Uh, yeah, it was definitely a stronger market back then. But yeah, to your point, there was there was a lot of turbulence underneath. And for people mm -hmm. that follow kind of like the leading sectors and leading stocks in the market, they were beginning to show signs of coming under pressure. You know, and, and by the latter half of that year, um, a lot of leading stocks had already kind of topped and were entering a bear market before kind of the big mega caps in the broader market, you know, succumbed to the same pressure. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So, Jordan, what, what, what do you think of the market now? You know, now I think that, that the market is still in a tough spot. You know, I know that there's been um, a nice rally recently. I think that the market's up roughly, let's call it 15% off the lows, looking at the S&P. But, you know, in our work right now, it still seems like just kind of another bear market rally within the context of this overall downtrend. You know, interestingly, we, I went back and looked at the 2000 to 2002 timeframe, just kind of for an analog. And I counted that there was six rallies of greater than 10% over that time period, with the average being 19%. But none of those six actually marked the bottom. You know, it wasn't all the way until you got to March of 03 before the market finally bottomed. Um, and so, you know, th that coupled with the fact that the yield curve is still inverted, the mm -hmm. Fed is still hiking rates, you know, they haven't yet started to, to, to pause, let alone start cutting rates. Um, earnings estimates are still being revised downward. You know, the recession hasn't really fully taken hold yet if you're judging by GDP and things like that. So it just seems that there still are a lot of headwinds that are still kind of, you know, forming or, or not yet cresting that, that keep us cautious. 
Now, with that, with those stats that you just threw out there, Jordan, was that off of the S and P five hundred those bear market rallies, or was that the Nasdaq? Those were actually the S and P five hundred. You know, okay. the Nasdaq, I'm sure, had rallies over similar timeframes and probably yes. to greater magnitudes. But I was just right. checking the S and P. Yeah, yeah, okay, uh, good to know. And you know, to your point about you know, kind of all of those overhangs that the market has to contend with right now. Certainly, one of the big things has has been the Fed, of course, and it seems like. Uh, the hopes for a Fed pivot have been so strong, you know, people just looking for any sense that maybe uh, maybe the hikes are going to slow down or, um, you know, any hopefulness there. And I mean, just recently we had the CPI report that, you know, gave some, uh, I guess, gave, gave some hope to investors that maybe uh December wasn't going to be another 75 basis points. The chances of a 50 basis point hike uh, came up. So um, what's what's your take on this kind of hopefulness that investors are still holding on to? Yeah, you know, I think each time that you have kind of these rallies, investors are going to reach for some sort of narrative to kind of fit into their bullish thesis. And in this case, like you said, it's that hope that, oh, maybe inflation has peaked and the Fed is getting closer to a pause. But, you know, the, the Fed kind of it had this series of 75 basis point hikes, right, four in a row, which obviously they can't keep hiking at that pace. So the fact that right. they're down 15 to 50 basis points, I think seems seems relatively rational when you're looking at the big picture. You know, it doesn't necessarily mean that there's an imminent, in my, in my opinion, it doesn't necessarily mean that there's an imminent pause coming up. It just means that they're slowing down the pace of those rate hikes in, in terms of the magnitude of the, of the basis points. But they still have said, you know, 50 basis points at this upcoming meeting and maybe another 50 or 25 after that. You know, and then we'll have to kind of see see how data um, comes in after that. But yeah, I still think that you know it's just because of the rally. People want to say that oh, I think they think the Fed's pausing, that inflation has kind of peaked and coming down. But even though this was the first CPI report where inflation was a little bit lower than the last one, it still is pretty high on an absolute yeah. basis, and, and it still is a ways away from that that two percent target. So I think inflation is proving to be a little bit more stickier than a lot of people thought initially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so how do you incorporate like the, the larger macro, all this data, all, all these kind of adjustments there uh, with uh, maybe the, some, some of the strategies from IBD with the with the fall through days? Do you, are you using both of those or are you, or are you focusing on one or the other? Yeah, you know, we, we, we tend to use both of them. I would say that, you know, we're going to I know we're going to get into our, our strategy a little bit later, but our strategy tends to be more kind of rules-based in terms of how we adjust our exposure on on, on a day-to-day basis. So really we're kind of just using this big macro picture to kind of have kind of a top-down view. You know, if if the market rallies, we're not gonna let that top-down view preclude us from looking for buying opportunities and getting involved, but it just kind of um, informs us on our overall bias to the market. You know, for any given exposure that, that our models may be telling us, you know, we're always maybe shading that a little bit above or below what that model is saying. And so when we're in an environment like this, we tend to be a little bit more cautious and maybe would have a propensity to shade it down a little bit versus if we were in a bull market. Mm-hmm. Now, you, you mentioned how you're still kind of going off the thesis that this is uh, most likely a bear market rally. And I assume you always give yourself the flexibility to change as, as conditions change. But what, I guess, change are you looking for to say, okay, this is this is maybe looking a little bit stronger than a bear market rally. And you know, what is there something particular that you're looking for to kind of give you that indicator that, oh, things have changed now? 
Yeah, I mean, there, there's no one perfect indicator. I think that there's, you know, always kind of a, a series of things or, or a mosaic that you need to put together to kind of get that feeling. You know, one would be the yield curve, right? The yield curve is still, I think today it went to 68 basis points inversion on 10 minus twos, which is, I believe, a 50 year high. So I don't think the market has ever bottomed while the yield curve is still inverted. Inverted. I went back and looked at the last few big bear market bottoms, and the yield curve was always nicely positively sloped, you know, before the market bottom. So that's that's something that we haven't seen yet. The Fed hiking rates, you know, usually the Fed has already started to cut rates by the time the market ultimately bottoms. So you know, we don't have that. Can't check that box off yet. Um, and then from something like a technical picture. You know, the, most of the major indices are still below their 200-day moving averages, which are still trending down. So that kind of is, you know, fairly stiff resistance there also. So I think that, you know, we would have to kind of want to see a big change in the overall trend, you know, going from the markets making a series of these lower highs and lower lows to start putting in higher lows and, and higher highs. That's something that we haven't seen yet. Um, and the last thing on, on a fundamental basis is just the earnings estimates that I talked about. Earnings estimates have just started to be revised downward. Um, and so most markets tend to, to coincide with those things kind of bottoming out as well. So I guess that's kind of the, the series of factors that we're still monitoring. Yeah. And, and so, I, you know, I was looking at your, your background. I mean, you, you have a you know, very strong traditional kind of background, CFA and, and uh, asset management. How, how did you end up getting incorporating technicals more more into the strategy too you know i think it was a combination of things to your point when i first started out you know i was i was getting my cfa and and trying to you know learn to be a rigorous analyst and dig through all the financial statements and one of the things that i found frustrating early on in my career was by by the time the the fundamentals were starting to turn down and look negative the stocks were usually way down off their highs and so you know, I think that in combination was back then I was starting to, to read more and more about, you know, William O'Neill and the IBD um, strategies and investment philosophies. And it just seemed to me to make more sense to start incorporating technicals along with the fundamentals. You know, I was also, I was also getting my master's at the time in futures and options and trading strategies. And so that was a third element that I wanted to incorporate. So as I really started to kind of hone in on my own investment philosophy and what I wanted it to look like. It incorporates fundamentals, technicals, as well as sentiment and a little bit of that macro overlay, just to be more well, well-rounded and not rely on any one um, you know, investment science, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So one thing that, um, you know, when, when you were on last time, we were talking about the high volume breakouts and, and we'll get a little bit more into that in the second segment, just kind of to rehash some of those things. But one of the things that's been a little bit difficult is, okay, first of all, um, certainly this rally has been driven by a lot of bottom fishing, you know, not, not breakouts, but things that have been like decimated coming up 10, 20% um, off their lows. But even the stocks that are a little bit stronger, the ones that are above their 50-day moving average lines and 200-day lines already, a lot of those, it seems like you get a breakout and then, uh, you know, within a day or two, you're right back into the base. Um, is, is, that, is that one of the things that you're looking at right now in terms of the overall market health, uh, the strength of the individual stocks? How does that kind of fit into yeah. your picture? No, definitely. I think that that's a big thing. You know, I think that one of the things you have to acknowledge when you're in a bear market is that the normal bull market rules, you know, don't apply in the sense that they don't really work, work out. So, you know, to your point, 
Breakouts, we're not really seeing stocks break out and keep running like they do in bull markets. Breakouts are often sold into very quickly. And like you said, they fall back down in that base. So we try to be more active in those cases and kind of trade around things. If you own a stock that, that sees a breakout, you know, we would like to take some partial profits on that breakout just because of the risk of it falling back in. And I guess I could have added to my list when you were asking about things I'm looking at for the market bottom is, like you said, this recent rally has been what to us looks like almost entirely short covering and, and bottom fishing. You know, when you look at these baskets of stocks like Goldman has a couple baskets, they have the, the most heavily shorted stocks by hedge funds. You know, that thing saw a huge double digit rally. And also they have this non-profitable tech basket, which I think was up like 30% in a couple of days. And so, you know, those are things that, that you see more at kind of these, these bear market rallies that aren't necessarily sustainable. And what's missing is kind of that, that new leadership. And so we don't yet see groups of stocks that are forming this new leadership. I know that's something that IBD folks focus on a lot, um, but it's something that we're still looking for and haven't really, really found yet. Yeah, in, in many ways, I mean, you described it well there. That I mean, just those bear market rallies or like last week, I, it was a week ago, it was on Wednesday when the markets were, I think, pretty much really close to, to new lows. And then Thursday, you had that CPI number come out and the NASDAQ was up 7%. And we had, you had a number of these stocks that were maybe for this year, 80, 90% off their 52-week highs and they go up. 50 percent in the in a few days uh yeah. and so on a relative basis now now if you're doing more kind of the absolute where you can stay in cash and things like that that's fine you, you know not to play around with that too much there's just so much volatility but on a relative basis uh it's a nightmare for for people who are trying to be more defensive and all of a sudden all of the junk off the bottom does this kind of massive rally and all of a sudden you're you're lagging quite a bit yeah, for sure. And I think it's a big difference, right? Like so yeah. for your traditional kind of IBD at home type of investor, you know, if they're sitting in mostly cash this year, you know, they can kind of watch those things from the sidelines and not necessarily get sucked in by them because it's really more market noise, you know, versus there's a lot of professional portfolio managers where, you know, performance risk can turn into career risk. And so when you hear those yeah. things like like FOMO and fear of missing out and performance anxiety and all these things, you know, it's a very real thing. And so there's this pressure if the market starts rallying as a portfolio manager, you know, you want to get involved and have some upside participation. And so, you know, there kind of is that that juxtaposition between the, the individual and professional investors. OK, just to kind of wrap up this segment, maybe we can take one more look at the chart and just kind of see, OK, on on the chart here, we're getting up to the 200-day moving average line on the S&P 500. Um, is there anything that you're looking at in particular to see how it handles itself? Are there any technical levels that you're looking at? Or is it, again, just until that macro picture improves, um, you're still going to be cautious? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a combination. Until the macro picture improves, we're still going to be somewhat cautious. You can see on, your, on the chart you're looking at, the last time we got up to the 200-day, you know, we were turned away um you know mm -hmm. pretty stiff resistance there pretty handily and so you know i guess i want to see this time around is there a similar occurrence does the market get turned away in similar fashion or does it break above the 200 day and kind of sit above it and start to form you know support along it? i guess that would be the first sort of change in character we'd be looking for perfect when we come back jordan is going to share with us some of his strategies how he hedges positions to get his exposure just right. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. 
to help alleviate some of the pain that comes from bear markets. We recommend investing 20 to 25% of the equity portion of your portfolio in a tactical strategy. If you are especially risk averse, we recommend a higher percentage. In 2008, the market declined 37%, yet our portfolio was only down 12%. Why? Because the conditions for investing were poor, so we held a lot of cash. Visit northcoastam.com tactical. Okay, welcome back to the Investing with IBD podcast sponsored by North Coast Asset Management. It's Justin Nielsen here along with Arusha Pires from O'Neill Global Advisors, a portfolio manager over there, and the CIO of, of ACM Funds. It's Jordan Kahn. Thanks, Jordan, for coming back on. And uh, this time around, you're going to share with us a little bit about how you manage your portfolio. Of course, as most funds are kind of you know, usually in a higher, you know, higher invested position, not raising too much cash. How do you kind of balance out your portfolio uh, to get the exposure right when you've got a lot of stocks in there? Yeah. So one of, one of the difference about how we run our fund versus a lot of other funds out there is we run a hedged equity strategy. That's it. That's in our perspective. So our fund can run anywhere from being 100% long when we're trying to be fully exposed to the market all the way down to 0% long or fully hedged when we're trying to, to be in protective mode. And the way that we do that is by using, on the long side, we have a portfolio of stocks that we run. And then mm -hmm. to adjust our exposure, on the short side, we'll short ETFs. So mostly index ETFs, but also some of the, the sector and, and industry ETFs as well. So if we are, let's say we're 100% long in our stock portfolio on a given day, and our hedge model tells us to get down to 75% by the end of the day, we can short, let's say 25% worth of ETFs, one or more ETFs, so that we'd be 100% long in our stocks, 25% short in our ETFs, and that would kind of net us out to that 75%. And so the way that it works and how we make those decisions, you know, we didn't want it, when we started the fund, we didn't want it to be up to the manager, right? We didn't want it to be kind of this, um, just an emotional decision. So we wanted to remove what they call that manager bias from the equation and make it a rules-based strategy. So what we do in practice is we have a handful of, of major indices, right? Things like the S&P 500, the NASDAQ, the Russell, the small cap. And on each one of those indices, we overlay a series of moving averages. So we'll have short-term, intermediate-term, as well as longer-term moving averages on each of them. And the easiest way to think about it is if the indices are trading above all of their respective moving averages, then we won't have any hedges on. That's when we're 100% long. Yep. And as each one of those indices starts to break below their respective moving averages, then we start layering on the shorts or the hedges with those ETFs. And so if the NASDAQ is the first one to start breaking down, maybe we would initiate a QQQ short first before we get to the others. Then if the Russell starts breaking down next, we might add in an IWM. And that's how we kind of build up our hedges to get the portfolio more fully hedged in, in a down market like we've done this year. Yeah, I kind of like that. I mean, it's very systematic, but I, I like that it's also kind of spread across uh, different uh, classes and, and, and caps. Um, and so you're in many ways just letting the market tell you how hedged you, uh, you should be or not. Exactly. And there's, and there's oftentimes where 
some of those major indices will only breach maybe the first moving average and maybe we'll get five or 10 percent hedge and yeah. then the markets will write themselves and those hedges will come off and we'll get back to a, a fully long position so you know in that sense we try not to overreact to every little movement in the markets mm -hmm. now in 2021 what was kind of interesting about that year uh, of course, as we noted earlier, you had kind of the sector rotation, you had the the tech wreck, a lot of these, you know, Shopify's and PayPal and Zoom, DocuSign, basically anything that was great during the COVID uh, recovery uh, was was doing very poorly in 2021. But the indexes were still doing great because the mega caps um, were were kind of carrying it forward. And so even though you had most stocks declining, the mega caps were making the indexes go up. So when you kind of get a disconnect, especially easy to do now with the mega caps holding so much weight in the indexes, does that alter how you how you play things at all? Uh, does that ever cause yeah. problems for you? It, it causes big problems. As you were describing that, you know, I got a little pit in my stomach just remembering how difficult 2021 was. Because I'm sorry, point, I didn't mean to do that. No, no, like, that's okay. It, 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 you know, it's, a, it's a good thing to bring up, right? Because it was, a, it was a, a learning lesson. And I can tell you some little tweaks that we've made as a result of that. Okay. Um, so, yeah, you know, so we had a, a situation where a lot of those leading stocks, you know, we're always looking for market leaders and market leading areas. And a lot of them started to come under significant pressure in 2021, while the major indices were holding up just fine. So if we are looking to short things like the SBY and the QQQ against that basket of stocks, it wasn't doing, you know, a, a very good job because we were seeing pressure on the underlying stocks, but not a lot of benefit from the hedges. So 2121 proved to be a difficult year for us because of those aspects and those relationships that you were just describing. And so, you know, as we got together and we looked at 2021 and we said, what can we do better going forward so that we don't have that sort of occurrence again? One of the things that we chose to do was we had been relying a lot on those index ETFs as shorts, things like the SBY, QQQ, IWM. And we chose to expand that to include a lot more of the sector ETFs yeah, and yeah. even some of the industry ETFs. So, you know, so starting this year, we started to expand it and using those much more. So we've able to we've been able to short things like, you know, the fintech ETF or the cloud stack ETF or things that we can adjust our exposures within the portfolio a little bit better. And we can kind of express them, um, you know, in, in, in a more direct way. Well, oh. then I guess maybe as a follow up question to that, just how did that kind of play out maybe a little bit better than in 2022 uh, to maybe get rid of that pit in your stomach? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's played out much better this year, you know, especially in the beginning of the year. And during these periods when we've seen these really rapid market drawdowns, having that flexibility to target, um, you know, those specific areas have really helped offset exposures elsewhere within our portfolio. Um, it's been a great benefit. Mm -hmm. So for the, the long ideas, what are some of the, the screening criteria that you use to, to find ideas for the individual stocks? Yeah, so the, our primary method of screening, this is what we call our initial phase of our screening process, is we search for what we call meaningful breakouts. And really what that is, is it's high volume breakouts, right? So it's not just a breakout in price. It has to also be accompanied by, you know, two to three times spike in, in average daily trading volume. And interestingly, one of, one of the screens that we use is actually one of the MarketSmith screens. They have one of these breakout screens that we run on a daily basis, which is one of the, the, the you know, ways that we get a list of stocks. And then from there, so we get this list of stocks that are having these, these breakouts. And then we kind of whittle it down from there and do our deeper dive 
by going into more rigorous fundamental analysis, you know, looking under the hood of these companies and looking at earnings and sales growth and the sustainability of those, you know, earning stability, um, profitability, free cash flow, all, the, all these other things. And so what we're really trying to do with this second phase of our screening process is kind of only focus on the highest quality companies that are coming through the first stage. So we're really trying to weed out kind of the pure momentum stocks that might come through. Maybe they have no earnings or egregious valuations or things like that. Because in, in our work, you know, what has really helped to identify the real market leaders has been focusing on these high quality fundamental companies, but ones that have also experienced those high volume breakouts. And together, those things can do a good job of identifying market leaders. And so that's kind of how we build our portfolio on a bottom up basis using, you know, that initial screen and that second deeper dive. You know, on, on average, we hold about 30 to 50 names in our portfolio. And again, we're style agnostic and sector agnostic. You know, we're just trying to build up a portfolio of the best ideas based on those criteria. Isn't that sometimes too late if, if you're seeing the stock on a breakout, then you're doing the, the due diligence? Uh, are you, aren't you going to miss uh, a number of those stocks? If, they, if you're in a great market, they might just start running away from you. I mean, yeah, you, we have to act quickly. So, you okay. know, our initial due diligence, you know, we have a screening process that, that we can get through pretty quickly, usually okay. in, in the matter of sometimes the same day or in a couple of days, we're at least starting an initial position and then we'll look for spots to add on to it. Uh, okay. Mm -hmm. um, now, let's maybe dig a little bit deeper into the fundamental side, since uh, that's kind of where you started uh, with that fundamental, fundamental analysis. Um, how how do some of these aspects come into play? Like for instance, uh, it seemed like in 2018 uh, for a few years, wow, you know what? Earnings don't matter. It's it's all about that heavy revenue growth, you know, triple digit revenue growth. Who who cares about earnings? Um, a lot of times, you know, we don't tend to care about PEs, but right now the market certainly some, seems to care about PEs with uh, interest rates getting higher and, and everything. So um, do any of those things come into play of, oh, you know what, we need to adjust for this market environment, the fundamentals one way or the other? Yeah, you know, we, we try not to make too big of adjustments based on just, you know, uh, market whims at any given time. You know, like, like for earnings, as an example, we tend to, you know, while there may be one or two or a few names in the portfolio that don't have earnings that we think are gonna be profitable in the near future, for the most part, we do try to focus on companies that already have profitability. And then, you know, to your other point about things where the market is focusing, you know, that's where we really look at our breakout screens and, and we kind of will let the market tell us where it's placing value, you know, amongst the different sectors or different areas in the market. Because as we start seeing more stocks breaking out and coming through our screens from certain areas of the market, that's where we tend to see, oh, the market's placing more emphasis here. And that's where we're seeing leadership and we can focus on that a little bit more. What about options? Now, now you, you did your master's and you, and you learned tons about options. Are you incorporating that in, into the strategy too? Yeah, so we're, we're fairly active with options, you know, on kind of on, on two fronts. One is sometimes if the market has run up a lot and, and volatility has gotten low and, and options are cheap, we will employ some index options in the portfolio just to kind of have a little bit of a hedge in there. So whether it's SPY put options or QQQ put options, something like that, you know, we do that on, on an occasional basis. And what we do more frequently is we will use put options on an individual stock. So if a stock has had a, a big run up and maybe they're going into an earnings announcement, you know, we'll buy puts on that stock just to kind of hedge against that event risk. 
And sometimes it's just a market call. Maybe a stock has had a big run up and we've trimmed the position, but we also kind of want to put a floor under it um, in case of that big retracement that you often see. Yeah. yeah. We'll use put options in, in that instance as well. So we're, we're, we're fairly active on, on trading around our, our put positions as well. And can you describe that a little bit more, like uh, some of the details? So are you kind of going with, um, you know, at the money options, you know, with with kind of like a 50 delta? Or are you just trying to protect yourself from a, a big downside move? So you're kind of going a little bit further, further out. Um, what, what's kind of your strategy there? Yeah. So, so, so to your point, the deltas do come into it. You know, it's a big factor in it. So on a daily basis, any put positions that we have, we're always delta hedging against our long exposure, right? So I don't want to get too far into the weeds, but you know, you know what I mean? So at a mm -hmm. 50 Delta, like you mentioned, you'd have to buy twice as many puts as right. you have underlying common. So we're always kind of adjusting that relationship. We tend to start with those at the money puts that are roughly around a 50 Delta, maybe slightly out of the money on the downside. But then if the stock does start to move down and go in the money, if that if we get very you know five ten percent fifteen percent in the money we'll we'll also take profits on those puts and roll mm -hmm. them down to a further strike just so that if the stock bounces and goes back up you know we've kind of taken some profits and limited our losses on on that side of the equation as well does that make sense yeah well and how far the t uh, is the time frame are you using weekly options monthly options do you, do you give yourself enough time on that yeah when, when we're buying options we like to give ourselves a little bit more time just to kind of offset that decay that you can see right, in option right. prices so when we're buying right. options we tend to go two to three months out okay um you know and then and then we're fairly active we don't usually plan on holding them until expiration we figure we're going to trade around them in that time frame, but we want to give ourselves enough time that we don't have that immediate decay. If yeah. we're selling options, right? If we ever sell calls on a position or something like that, right. then we want to be much shorter, usually measured in you know a number of weeks, not months. Mm -hmm. And in, in, that what, case, in that case, we want it to decay quickly. Right, right. You want it to decay. Yeah, so, yeah. and in what 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 situations are you um, are you selling options? You mentioned the covered call. Is that pretty much all you're doing, or is there times that you're you're selling puts as well? We, ne we never sell put outrights. I, you know, I, I never think that that's a, a good strategy at all. The only time that we will sell puts would be in a combination with buying a put, so doing okay. a put spread. And I right, think this right. is kind, kind of important for, for the novice investor or somebody who's just getting started in puts to understand is that when you are in a high volatility environment and you know the VIX is high and implied volatilities are high, the prices of options can get very pumped up um, you know, and it can be difficult to make money because the premiums that you pay, you know, they can, it can come in quickly. So if, vol if volatilities are high and we think that put options are expensive, in that case, we'll usually use a put spread, meaning we'll buy a put, but then we will sell a put at a lower strike. Just so if there is that sort of, you know, decay or if the premiums come in, we have that short one there that we can make, you know, make money on that decay quickly um, while still having that downside exposure from the, the long put option. Right. And reduces your cost, especially when you've got those high, high mm -hmm. prices on the premiums. So exactly. uh, that, that's the little option, uh, option discussion. Exactly. Yeah, that's great. And anything else uh, about your strategies that, you know, uh, again, we've, we've already touched on a lot between the exposure thing and maybe it would be a little instructive for you to kind of um, maybe throw some rough amounts at different areas. Like, you know, when when we were at the June bottom or October bottom, like what was kind of your exposure target between your uh, stock exposure and the hedge 
uh, to give you that overall exposure. Well, before you get into that, maybe the ex the cash exposure. Oh, yeah, because we, yeah. we we were talking earlier about yeah. relative books and th and things like that. Uh, you know, how much cash are, do you guys go go to? You know, a lot of lot of funds they they limit themselves to five percent cash or ten percent cash. Um, yeah, we, how how far? Yeah, how flexible are you guys? So we're we're flexible. We actually don't have any sort of cash constraints in our portfolio. So you know, in theory, we could take cash as high as we felt was relevant. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that the highest cash that we had is probably around, you know, 60, 70 percent. Because what's more important to us is the overall exposure in the portfolio. So, mm -hmm. like I mentioned to you, we have our stock portfolio that you know is a certain percent long, and then we will offset that with our ETF hedges to bring it down, as, as well as any put options we might have. So when the market was at, at its low point this year and our, and our, and our hedge model was dictating 0% exposure, in practice, what that would mean was taking our stock portfolio down to 50, 40%, somewhere in that neighborhood, and then having our hedges equal the same 40 or 50% so that our net exposure was all the way down to zero. Okay. So, you know, the fact that cash had gotten up to 50% wasn't necessarily by design. It was more just because we had cut back our stocks and increased our hedges to get that net exposure down to zero, you know, and, and the sale proceeds, you know, just went into cash. Yeah, you're listening to the market, right? So, yeah. And then I guess that begs the question, do you ever go net short? So in, in, the, in the situation that I was just describing to you, where we reduce our stocks and increase our, our ETF hedges, that portion of the portfolio isn't necessarily designed to go net short. Sometimes if you, I mentioned to you, we have put options and if the put options go deep in the money and the deltas right. go up on a delta adjusted basis, we may be slightly net short at times, but it's not you know, a goal of the fund to go net short during market declines. And usually I'm, I'm sure, you know, as you said, sometimes you're you know, taking some profits in those, rolling them, um, that kind of gets you off of that net short. Uh, yeah. Exposure. Correct. Yeah, we kind of would do that fairly fairly quickly. If there were some big drawdowns and our puts away in the money and volatilities had spiked and gone up, you know, we likely would be taking profits there and uh, reducing that net short exposure. Okay, very good. Well, when we get back, we will take a look at some of the stocks that are on Jordan's radar right now and also get some learning lessons for how he's held some and gotten rid of some. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. To help alleviate some of the pain that comes from bear markets, we recommend investing 20 to 25% of the equity portion of your portfolio in a tactical strategy. If you're especially risk averse, we recommend a higher percentage. In 2008, the market declined 37%, yet our portfolio was only down 12%. Why? Because the conditions for investing were poor, so we held a lot of cash. Visit northcoastam.com slash tactical. Welcome back to the Investing with IVD podcast sponsored by North Coast Asset Management. It's Justin Nielsen here along with Arusha Pires, who joins me every week from O'Neill Global Advisors, portfolio manager over there. And we have joining us on the show this week, Jordan Kahn. He's CIO at ACM Funds. So, Jordan, uh, let's let's get into some of the stocks that are on your radar. Maybe some that you're holding, some that you uh, got rid of, uh, and we can go ahead and start with Quanta Services, which is, uh, I mean, this had a really strong move in 2020. It's in the building heavy construction industry group. Um, a lot of uh, contracting with, you know, electric power, gas, oil, pipeline industries. Um, 
gosh, oil and gas sounds like something that might have done okay uh, <laughs> recently. So uh, what is it that attracted you to this? And, uh, you know, how, how long have you been holding it? And how have you been managing these bases? Yeah, I mean, from a fundamental standpoint, what we really liked about this story was they're a big player in the upgrade of the electrical grid, right? So you guys know from living in California, you have all these blackouts. They keep pushing more and more EV cars on the road. So there has to be this this national upgrade of our electricity grid to deal with all that. And they're one of the, the primary players there. So that's just from a, a you know backstory component. But what really got us attracted to it is, you know, we're looking for, as we mentioned in, in the earlier segment, you know, breakouts, you know, were, were fewer and far between as the market started to come under pressure. And so we kind of were looking for stocks that were exhibiting more relative strength. And maybe they were experiencing breakouts to new highs that weren't necessarily high volume breakouts, but they were kind of new relative strength breakouts. Okay, so it so it breaks out on August twenty fifth. So at this point, you're not, you're not. Are you really hedging at all at this point? It's kind of a traditional breakout. You have earnings out of the way. Yeah, um, earnings, earnings are out of the way. So at this point, yeah. we're not hedging. It's just a traditional. Okay. We're buying it on this breakout. Yep. You know, about a week later, it does have another uh, high volume breakout. It wasn't mm -hmm. on earnings. It was just on a news related item. Right. So, but that was kind of a confirmation that that this thing was working, a stock that had broken into new high ground and was and was exhibiting strength. And so, from there, we were just looking for spots to add to our position, maybe on light pullbacks to the 50-day and stuff like that. Um, so, really, just kind of trading around it at this point. And that makes a lot of sense. Now, now, it looks like if you go forward a little bit, I mean, you know, there have been some. Um, you know, you, you make a little bit of progress and then you base, you know, for like 25%. Then you make a little bit of progress and then you base again. Uh, so how have you been handling um, that portion? Have you held through that? Have you hedged through it? Um, yeah, what's so been we, your we've playbook? done both. What really helps us to get through some of that is, is being a little bit more active in trading around the positions. So when it does have these run-ups, we will trim some of our position. We'll take some profits and then like you said, as we get into the later part of the year, when it starts to break down below its 50 day, that's where we started initiating hedges. And that's okay. what really helps us kind of ride out those those weak periods when maybe the stock has to go through a longer consolidation is having that put protection below our position. So we trimmed a little when it was running up. We added the puts when it was breaking through its 50. You know, that helped us. You see here it runs all the way down as you get into 2022. You know, it runs down all the way down to its 200 day. Yeah. You know, usually in that sort of situation, we're taking profits on our initial hedges and rolling them down to further strikes, okay. right? So we, we put in some lower strikes there. The stock still kind of bounces around for a while. It, it makes a low in January, bounces around, and then it starts to come back up. And if you look all the way to February, now it has another kind of high volume breakout where it comes back up through its uh, 200 and its 50-day moving averages. Right. And at that point, right, it kind of looks to us like the stock has kind of completed this, you know, a little bit erratic double bottom pattern, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And so in that case, now we're looking to take off our hedges, whatever we have on at that time, and add back to the position a little bit. And from there, the stock starts to run again. Um, it, has a, it has a really nice run from there. If you look in that February, March of 2022 timeframe, then you can see what happens as you start to get into March. Now the stock is starting to get really extended, right? It's really... Mm -hmm. extended from its 50-day moving average. And so in that situation, we're looking to take more profits on our position to decrease our position size, just again, to manage risk. You know, adjusting position sizes is one of the primary ways that we manage risk. So we're reducing that position. And now we're buying some put options at a, at a, at a higher strike just to put a floor under it in case it kind of 
you know, falls back into that, that, that gap that we're seeing between where the stock price is and its 50 day, which mm-hmm. is quite a way below it. Um, you know, so, so we put some put options on there again, the stock again, the stock in April does have a big plunge and start to come back down. So in that case, you know, we're hedged and it's again, it's doing the same thing, taking profits on those hedges, rolling them down to further strikes until the stock starts to base and, and, and come back up again. And, you know, this year has been a volatile year, volatile year. So that has happened a few times, right, where we've taken off of our puts, the stock has run up, we've had to put them back on. And so it's really just been trading around it. But what that has done is it's helped us hold this position for the long term, right? So now we've had been in this position for, for over a year. We've got long-term yeah. capital gains, which is always nice for our investors. And from our initial buys, the stock has been up as much as 45%. Um, you know, so it kind of that, that active put strategy or protecting strategy kind of helps us hold the stock for the longer term and not getting shaken, shaken out when it's just kind of normal volatility and corrections. Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. And real quick, I just want to remind a lot of our listeners that, um, you know, if you if you don't know, we do have a video portion that is available. You can go to investors.com slash podcast. I think, Jordan, you're doing a great job of giving the dates and describing everything. So I think a lot of our listeners can get away with uh, not looking at the video because you're doing such a great job with that. But that's always available for people that would like to see the video. And uh, Arusha is doing some nice markups for us there, too. Um, one one question on this is, you know, this has kind of allowed you to sit with Quanta services as it, you know, it really seems to keep on coming back um, and, and you've managed that position well. But at what point does it start getting to um, getting to you where you say, oh, you know what, this this move just seems to be done. You know, we're we hedged it and it, it just got worse. Um, we've got to part ways with this because it we're just not sure it's coming back. I mean, you you sat with this while it plunged below the 200 day line a couple times. I wouldn't say plunge. Let's say got got just below it and then came right back. But how much room do you give these things? Um, what's your signal that, hey, yeah, it's, it's time to part ways? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's difficult because on the, on the one hand, you know, we do try to try, want to hold kind of a core portfolio of stocks that we can be in for the longer term. You know, we think that Quanta could be one of those stocks that, that warrants holding for the longer term. So when it fell below its 200 day, obviously that was um, a, a test for us in terms of our conviction. conviction. Yeah. Fortunately, it came back above that 200-day. I think if, if we started seeing it continue to fail at that 200-day and it just continued to trend down, even though they were we were hedged, we probably would have to say at some point that you know it's just no longer acting well. You know, when we look at the relative strength of a stock like Quanta, we see that most recently when I looked at it, its relative strength is still 94, right? So it's doing a good job of holding yeah. up relative to the market. So right. I think that's another thing that kind of um, you know, gives us a little bit of confidence that even though the market is under pressure and, and choppy and volatile, you know, it, it, it's doing what we kind of we would expect it to do, uh, given this market environment. And, and you have and, and you mentioned earlier that you have 30 to 50 positions on. So that that's a lot of positions to watch and then also to consider should you have an option strategy on uh, each of those positions? You know, how, how is it managing all, all those positions? Yeah, you know, it can be a lot. That 30 to 50, that's kind of the average that yeah. we hold in the fund that we've held over the years. You know, right now, given this market environment, we're actually below that. So okay. we're somewhere in the mid-20s in terms of our, our the number of names. But to your point, you know, I also have a couple other people that help me on the portfolio. So it's just the, the, the job of all of us to try to keep tabs on all these things and, uh, 
like I said, we, you know, we all talk, we all monitor it on a daily basis. On our trading platform, you can see what everybody's doing. If anybody has, you know, is trading something, and we all get together each day to discuss the the portfolio. Are there any positions that you guys think, you know, need to be trimmed? Are there any positions that look like they're breaking down that we should be hedged? So just trying to, you know, be active and stay on top of it on a daily basis. And let's go ahead and turn our attention to Vertex Pharmaceuticals. Uh, the ticker symbol on this is VRTX. Uh, Biomed Biotech, this has been a group that's just done very well uh, lately. Um, there's been some volatility in this one, and I, I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts on this because I, I personally got shaken out, and you know this is where maybe a hedging strategy could have been something that helped uh, keep me in. So yeah. what, what is it about Vertex and, and how you've handled this one? It's easy. It's easy to get shaken out with some of these names, and I and I should yeah. mention that we actually owned Vertex some some years ago and were shaken out of it. But it was a name that we kind of kept on our radar and was looking to get back in. And to be honest, this stock more recently it had a big high volume breakout in December of twenty one, December of twenty twenty one, that we actually missed. So 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 it had this big high volume breakout. You know, we missed it at the time. And from there, it really started running higher. So I mentioned to you that sometimes when they have these high volume breakouts, we'll look to kind of start building our position on a pullback or on a consolidation. And it really didn't have any at that point. So the stock ran up without us. We watched it kind of run up and run up into a little peak in February. And then on its first pullback to its 50 day, that's when we said, okay, now it looks like it's coming into an area of support where maybe we start getting into a position because we wanted to get involved in the name. So around that that March timeframe on that pullback to the 50 day, that's mm -hmm. where we started building our position. Okay. And from there, the stock ran up again. Yeah. You know, if you look in, in March and April, it had a really, really nice run up. So of course, you know, that's, that's a time where we have to start looking to take some profits, trim our position into that April run up and, and add some puts, right? So we, we add some put protection in there. Now the stock pulls back to its 50 day, you know, where, where again, we take some profits on those puts and look to roll down to another strike. Yeah, um, this is where Justin's going shaken out left and right. Yeah, because it, <laughs> it bounced off that 50-day only briefly, and then it came down and broke back, back down below it. So again, you know, for us, that's where having those uh, put option uh, protective hedges on helps keep us in the name a little bit longer. You know, we can kind of watch and see how it's going because, we, you know, we have an offset. Even though we're seeing declines on our underlying stock, those put options are, are, you know, moving to profits during during those times. So we have a bit of an offset there. And so, you know, stock comes down, you know, again, we're managing around the put options and it kind of has a similar pattern to what we talked about with the Quanta services um, just before this. It bounces back up to its 50 day, has a second test below it, mm -hmm. puts in a little bit of a higher low and kind of completes this, this double bottom pattern. Um, at which time when it comes back above its 50 day, we take off our hedges and start adding back to our long position and kind of looking to ride it up again. Um, and since then, you know, it's been up and down. It hasn't really, it's had a couple of small breaks of its 50 day, but nothing that, you know, occurred on here, huge volume or got us overly concerned. And again, it's something, so we're trying, you know, we're trying to hold this for the longer term. You know, we don't have long-term gains on this one yet, but hopefully we can stay in it for that long. And from our initial buys, you know, we, we've seen this up as much as 35% this year, which in this market, you know, is a lot better than most of the stocks that we're following. Sure, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe we could turn our attention over to Mosaic. Uh, Mosaic, certainly, uh, we saw fertilizers, a lot of the cyclical stocks uh, lead the market in, um, 
you know, in, in this year, early in this year. Um, how have you handled this one and what made you decide to part ways with it? Yeah, so this might be a good example of you were talking about, you know, what are the, the, the factors that ultimately lead us to get out of a name? Um, and so we were actually involved in Mosaic, you know, much earlier on. We got involved in this one in 2020. Okay. So it had, it had its first high volume breakout that we noticed in August of 2020. So if you go back to August of 2020, you'll see that first big high volume breakout. We, have, we didn't buy on that one only because the stock had been in a downtrend fairly recently before that. So this mm -hmm. kind of looked like maybe a first breakout that was starting to reverse that trend. So we kind of wanted to give it some more time and wait. And then in November of 2020, it had another high volume breakout. So, so you see that big spike in volume in November of 2020, towards the end of November. Mm -hmm. um, okay, yep. And that's where we started to get involved, right? So we start to buy a little then, it, it pulls back a little and kind of consolidates from there. So we have mm -hmm. some time to kind of build up our position. And then the stock, you know, starts rallying as we get into 2021. So that worked out really nicely, right? That that indicator of buying a high volume breakout and then being patient and let, and let it work. And yeah. so as we get into 2021, the stock continues to run up, you know, it kind of had this pattern where it was two steps forward, one step back, but it held that 50 day and it kept kind of, you know, bouncing higher. And by, I'd say by May or June, you know, we're already up some 70% from our initial buys. Mm -hmm. Now I don't, want, I don't want to imply that we just sat there and held it that whole time because, you know, we tend to be more active than that. So we were trading around it, but we're seeing big gains from our initial buys. By June, it starts to have its first test of its 50 day where it actually starts to breach it, right? So there's an example, the stock breaches its 50 day. You know, we'd already taken some profits because of that big run up, but this is the first breach of its 50 day since we bought the stock um, back in 2020. So now we're gonna buy some hedges and see and see what happens. So we buy some puts, we hedge our exposure, you know, the stock comes below its 50 day, works its way all the way down towards that 200 day yeah. where again, you know, so we're looking to take profits on those those puts and roll them down to further strikes, right? Just so we can kind of protect ourselves a little bit. The stock does turn around. The stock winds up holding that 200 day, right? It, it has a little bit of a, of, a, of a shakeout where it goes back above its 15 and has another dip. So yeah. we obviously are, are trading around that. But eventually by by late September, it gets back above its 50 day and now it starts to look like it's it's working its way higher, right? It breaks above that recent consolidation that it's been in. Mm -hmm. So at that point, that's when we really would start to look to taking off any hedges that we still might have had on and building back back up the name a little bit more, right? Because it's coming out of that consolidation now, yep. looks to be healthier. And so, you know, that's a good call. So now we get into a new, a new uptrend. And, you know, lo and behold, what happens is the whole market starts really getting excited about fertilizers and you go into this huge run-up where to us it really had um the signals of a, of a climax run right i mean it, yeah. it wasn't yahoo of 2000 like but in its own <laughs> right it had this sort of climax run feel especially given the fact that now we're kind of entering a bear market we're seeing more and more signs of stock break breaking down leading stocks coming under pressure the nasdaq's off a great deal so the fact that this thing was running up at such a, a tremendous pace, and you can see those those volume spikes, right? You see kind of in early to mid-March, you see these huge spikes in volume yeah. as the stock is making these new highs. So to us, that was kind of a signal that things are getting a little bit too frothy in the name. So we start to take some profits and we buy, we buy some puts under under the name. 
it keeps working its way higher into April, right? So as it works its way higher into April, <clears throat> what we do is we take a little bit more profits on the stock and we roll the puts higher, right? So we sell the puts that we had because now they're too far out of the money and we move them up a little bit higher. So because we know at a some point the stock is going to come down and we want to kind of have that floor under it via our put options. So the stock eventually peaks in April and starts to come down. You know, at that point from our initial buys that we talked about in 2020, the stock has already tripled, right? So we've, we are, we've obviously seen a big run. We don't yeah. want to get too greedy. So we hedge our position. And then, you know, to, to your point, um, Justin, about what we kind of see that's different. Now the stock has another break of its 50 day and it can't seem to get back above it, right? So right. We, we have our hedges on and the stock can't seem to get back above its 50 day. And then you can see that consolidation period that it has in, in May of 2022, where it's consolidating underneath its 50 day. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as it breaks to a new low, right? And it breaks out below that consolidation. That to us was a sign that, you know, we've probably seen as much as we're going to see this time around in Mosaic. And so at that point, we take, you know, final profits in, in what hedges we have on and take our, our final profits and whatever we have left in the common and just call it a day. You know, that was a really good run for us. This, this stock tripled. Um, you know, we, we did the best we could with our hedging strategy. And I think it's just, you know, time to move on because it doesn't look like you've had such a big climax run there. It's not going to immediately turn around to becoming a leader again. So, you know, it, it may come back, but that was the point when we chose to just take our profits and look for some other leadership in the market. It's a really good example. Right. Now, anything about this that, you know, did you feel tempted, I guess, to make an exception here? Because I absolutely agree with you. I mean, that looked very climactic to me. But of course, a lot of people were saying, look, we've got we've got a change in the industry. We've got a condition in the industry that's dealing uh, we're dealing with Ukraine, um, you know, all the fertilizers, you know, uh, or the components in in both Russia and Ukraine, um, putting a lot of pressure on demand and everything like that. Was there ever a temptation to say, well, you know, gosh, there's something different here. And, you know, this this whole idea of going to the moon, you know, right. <laughs> like that, yeah. that uh, diamond hands and everything like that. Any yeah. any temptations there? So there, there's always a temptation. And and unfortunately, I'm going to I'm going to date myself here because I still have the, the the scars on my back from trading in 2008, 2007 and 2008. Yeah. I don't know if you guys were, were trading back then. Yeah. But, if you if you go back and you look and you remember these names had meteoric rises right. back then yeah. in right. 2007 and 2008, yep. and so what you'll remember from that time frame is that you had these shortages. You know, energy kind of went crazy in 2007 and early 2008, but as the recession took hold, these things came crashing back down to earth. And so I think mm-hmm. that that was kind of in the back of my mind that again, you know, the yield curve to us is indicating that. Recession is coming on. You know, we already saw two quarters of negative GDP earlier in the year, even yep. though people said that that wasn't a technical sign of a recession. But um, you know, I guess the fact that that we feel that this recession is still kind of taking hold led us to believe that we should err on the side of caution here. You know, it's not like this is a secular growth company. You know, it's a cyclical company that does that does fertilizer. And if we have a global recession, demand is obviously going to come down. So I think that that was part of uh, part of our thinking. Now it totally makes sense. You know what? I had one one more question. Just uh, again, you've talked a lot about your hedging strategy, and one of the things that you mentioned was kind of uh, hedging a little bit going into earnings. Now, uh, some would argue. Hey, some of the most powerful moves of some of these stocks come from 
those earnings catalysts. And if you're if you're hedged during that, you're you're missing out on those moves. So what's kind of your your counterpoint to that? So I definitely think that's a good point. I think that part of it is is the market environment that you're in. You know, right mm-hmm. now we're in an environment where earnings misses are punished much more harshly yes. than earnings beats are rewarded. Right. And since we're we're also in an environment where earnings estimates are coming down, so we expect, you know, most managements to use this opportunity to kind of guide down. So in this environment, we want to have more protection on going into these earnings calls. You know, have some put protection on things like that. When we get into a new bull market, especially in the early stages of a bull market, when we think that earnings estimates have kind of been washed out in terms of downward revisions and more and more companies are poised to, to, to beat and guide higher, you know, then maybe we won't be so active on our, on our hedging strategies going into earnings. But for us, it's all about managing risk relative to the environment that you're in. Um, and so, you know, so we tend to do it more often than not nowadays. The other thing about your point is if, if you're just buying a put option on the stock, even though that put option is going to cost you some money, if you do see a huge pop to the upside, as long as you haven't sold calls and cut off your upside, you'll still benefit. The stock will still go up more than when you lose on that put option. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it, it, it is another way to kind of, if, if you do think that there might be a situation like that, to, to hang in there and ride out that event risk while still knowing you have some underlying protection. Yeah, that is one of those benefits, right? The 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 hit as you get further out of the money, that delta kind of you know get, get, gives you less and less of a hit there. Right. So um, right. you you are still getting more and more participation. But totally makes sense what you're saying. You got to have that flexibility and kind of judge the market environment that you're in um, and adjust your protection strategies accordingly. Yeah. So, hey, Jordan, it was really great having you on the show again. Thanks so much for sharing uh, all these details about how how you manage your funds. And again, uh, people wanting more information can go to www.acm-funds.com for more information on Jordan and the ACM funds. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And on the show next week, we're going to have Scott St. Clair returning. Um, no one of us is going to be challenging him to racquetball anytime soon because he's oh, trying no. to beat us with a frying pan. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure if he meant beat us in the game or just beat us with a frying pan. I, I, I don't want to find out. Issues. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. No one wants to find out. So, uh, But it'll be great to have Scott, Scott St. Clair from Marketsmith. He is uh, Arusha's replacement uh, as the Marketsmith manager. So it'll be great to have him back on the show. So that's something to look forward to. Thank you so much for joining us this week, and we'll see you next time. Take care. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast if you haven't already. We'd really appreciate it. You can also send us your questions and comments to investingpodcast at investors.com. We would love to hear from you and may use your comments on an upcoming episode. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only, and nothing should be construed as a recommendation to buy, hold, or sell any securities. Make sure to consider consulting with your financial advisor before making any investment decisions.